With only a week until mandatory minicamp, the Seahawks are officially past the halfway point in their annual OTAs. What went down at Seattle's fifth practice on Thursday? We'll be breaking it down in our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday episode, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks are now past the halfway point in their organized team activities. Had their fifth practice today at the VMAC. Nick and I are going to be breaking down some takeaways from that fifth OTA. Plus, we'll be continuing our position-by-position depth chart review With part one of wide receivers, we'll be looking at the X and Z positions, the receivers that play on the outside of the formation. Again, thanks for joining us here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Now for your lead story. It's been a talking point for several years running. The Seahawks have had plenty of talent at the tight end position. Last year, they signed Gerald Everett. A few years before that, they had a guy by the name of Jimmy Graham that was starring at the tight end position. Will Disley's been here now going into his fifth season. They had Jacob Hollister. They signed Greg Olson. They've had talent at the tight end position, and yet this has not been a position that's been heavily involved in the passing game, whether you want to debate that that was on Russell Wilson or the play callers, maybe a little bit of both, some injuries at the position. There have been a number of factors, but they've added to that group again, acquiring Noah Fant as part of the Russell Wilson trade and – That begs the question, might this be the year that tight ends finally become a bigger focal point in the offense in Shane Waldron's scheme? No fan weighed in on it a bit today after their fifth OTA practice. Definitely more complex, uh, which is a good thing, like I touched on before. Um, A lot more ways to move around, a lot more ways to get guys open, uh, which is really cool to see. And uh, I definitely think it's very similar to the offense we've been in before. I, I see hints of 49ers, hints of Rams, hints of different teams in there um, that, uh, you know, Coach Waldron has kind of made it into his own and made it made it something that's really cool to be a part of. So I'm excited to be in this offense. I, I'm uh, I think I can do some good things in it and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So. Hints of 49ers and Rams. That's got to get Seahawks fans excited. Of course, that was mentioned last year when Shane Waldron came to town and this still looked like the same offense in large part because of who was under center playing to Russell Wilson's strengths. But now that you've got Drew Locke and Geno Smith competing to replace him, Nick, again, might this be the year? We've been talking about it, I feel like, ad nauseum for the last two or three years. Could this finally be the year that tight ends truly become a bigger focal point in this passing game? Well, you bring up a good point about how you know things are different under center. Breaking news, <laughs> um, and and this year the quarterback position, whoever it will be, it might be a bit more point guardy <laughs> than than if, if if that makes sense. Where it's more distribution to the playmakers because the the receivers and the tight ends are going to be better athletes and better playmakers and maybe make a bigger impact um, than perhaps you know you're not going to have an elite arm under center. Well, let's just be real. And getting your getting the ball out to those guys that can make plays is going to be uh, instrumental this year. And yeah, we assume Shane Waldron is kind of in 
kind of in, in that in that area of you know Rams and kind of getting that going and um, and that that same offense and last year you know getting his feet wet and and kind of getting acclimated and like you mentioned maybe had some roadblocks or uh, was focused too much or more on Russell Wilson and his strengths than really what he wanted to do truly um, as an offensive scheme. But this year um, I was looking back since 2017. So four seasons have passed. So you have the top two and before DK Metcalf, it was Doug Baldwin, but it's usually been the DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett show on the top two for receiving yards and on the team leading the team. And then there's a huge drop off and not since 2017 has there been a third player with at least 500 receiving yards. So there's been, it's very top heavy and tight ends. It's been since 2017 has been since Jimmy Graham had 520 yards or 520 yards and 10 touchdowns in 2017. So just to list off the tight ends and their, the, the leading tight end receiver of the last few years, you had Gerald Everett last year, 478 yards and four touchdowns. Will Disley in 2020 with 251 yards and two touchdowns, 2019, Jacob Hollister, 349 yards and three touchdowns. And then Nick Bennett in 2018, that that household name, 269 yards and three touchdowns in 2018 before or following Jimmy Graham. So in the post-Jimmy Graham era, the Seahawks have not had a tight end eclipse 500 yards or five touchdowns. Which Yeah, I think the touchdowns is maybe the thing that's most alarming because you think about some of the players they've had. I mean, early in Will Disley's career, before those catastrophic injuries that he had, he was scoring a bunch of touchdowns in limited action. Greg Olson was known for scoring touchdowns. He had one in his lone season with the Seahawks before announcing his retirement. Jacob Hollister that one year had three, but there were missed opportunities with him in 2020. I, I would say this. Of the last four years, 2020 to me was the most disappointing when you look at the tight end production. With Will Disley leading the team, even though they had Greg Olson, they brought back Hollister. For him to lead the team with under 250 receiving yards that year and not being able to find the end zone much, that was a major issue, especially in the second half of the season. I still believe that was one of the biggest problems that led to this offense sinking the way that it did in the second half. Teams were playing those two deep coverages, and they were just daring Seattle to beat them in the middle of the field with tight ends. And they didn't do it, whether it was scheme, whether it was Russell Wilson, whatever the main factor was. The Rams played to that in the playoff loss at Lumen Field. There were so many opportunities to hit the Rams in the middle of the field. They were leaving those tight ends open and either Russell Wilson wasn't throwing it to him or the tight ends weren't getting the ball to him because of the scheme. Whatever the case, the Rams were able to really subdue this offense as a lot of other defenses did in the second half of that season. And it really stopped Russ from hooking. They've got to find a way with the quarterback situation. You're not going to be chucking it downfield with Drew Locke or Geno Smith a bazillion times to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. If this offense is going to be functional and have a efficient passing game, you're going to have to get the ball to Noah Fant, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson, let those guys work. And that's been one thing from OTAs that I've seen so far. These quarterbacks are attacking the middle of the field. There's only so much you can take from these practices, but it is evident to me, just based on what I'm seeing, that that is going to be a bigger priority. The players are saying it, and I'm still buying into it this year, especially with the quarterback change. That could be one positive change with this offense with a new quarterback. Yeah, it's it's not just tight ends, too. They haven't had a receiver reach 500, a third receiver at all. Any pass catcher reach 500 yards. Um, in the last four seasons, which is problematic. 
And what I look at what, what Noah Fant mentioned with the Rams, um, you know, Tyler Higby, I think is a great example of something I'd, I'd like to see here. Noah Fant is no stranger to this as well. Tyler Higby's usually good for 550 yards, five touchdowns, four or five touchdowns. That I think that'd be great if a Noah Fant could get that, get that here. Noah Fant um, last year had 670 yards, four touchdowns. He's in his three years, he's actually averaging 630 something receiving yards and three and a half touchdowns. So, a number line like that, I think, would be would be awesome to get 600 plus yards and and approaching five touchdowns. I think would be uh, right around where you'd like to have your tight end, especially when you have Tyler Lock- two Pro Bowl receivers and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf doing their thing. And like you mentioned with the with the quarterbacks, they got to take what they give them. I think this offense, I, I, what I hope I see from this offense this year, is more of take what they're giving us, not forcing things, not not trying to make so and so happy. Just taking what they give us. That what that might be a three yard dump to the tight end. That might be a quick slant. That might be this or that. It's not. It might not be sexy at times. But right now the Seahawks aren't sexy, and that's okay. They they, they can get there. They can they can do some crunches, work those abs. They're not ready for that Top Gun Maverick scene on the beach. They're not ready for that yet. They got they got some exercise to do. But I think this is a great uh, a great exercise to get these tight ends involved in the middle of that soft underbelly of the middle of the field and and, and do some damage. And we talked about this going into last season with Waldron that coming from Sean McVay's coaching tree and Sean McVay previously being with Kyle Shanahan in Washington. I mean, all those connections, you know that Waldron wants to move his tight ends around and he wants to get him involved. And last year, that just never really came to fruition. Everett had a few nice games and he got more involved in the second part of the season, but they need more consistency. And I think Noah Fant can bring that to him. Still a very young player, great athleticism, great hands, can stretch the seam. You got a couple other solid tight ends as well. So there's no excuse. That is going to be critical for this offense to stay on schedule. So I'm excited. I've been excited the last couple of years thinking that this offense was going to have tight ends more involved. Now I truly believe that we are going to see that. Maybe not the most dynamic offense overall, but I expect to see more tight ends involved in the passing game. Coming up next here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks, Nick and I are going to be looking at today's OTA, what went down, some observations from the VMAC. At BlueNile.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece, all at prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Again, use the code Locked On. That's Locked On. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's episode, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about our listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. 
Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. The Seahawks today had their fifth OTA practice. They're only holding nine of them this year, at least based on the schedule. And it's a bit of a different, it's a bit of a different offseason for Pete Carroll and company because the Seahawks are doing mandatory minicamp sandwich in the middle of their OTAs. They're going to have their sixth one coming up tomorrow. And then next week, three-day minicamp. And then they have a few OTAs after that. And then it's break time until training camp. So the Seahawks were in action today. Again, as Pete Carroll has called it, it's fake football. Not a lot of real football going on in the field this time of year, but still plenty to talk about. And of course, Nick, we got to start at the quarterback position. And I was in attendance today. Don't put too much stock in this because again, it is an OTA. It's seven on seven. There's no 11 on 11 team drills on the actual practice field. No contact, you name it. But Drew Locke today clearly won the quarterback battle for today's OTA. Five touchdown passes during seven on seven, including a pair of them to Cody Thompson. Also had one to Marquise Goodwin. And Geno Smith had a solid day completing passes, but did not throw any touchdowns. Again, this is not going to determine who starts in week one. This is not going to decide the job. But certainly Drew Locke looks like he's getting more comfortable with some of the receivers on his new team. And he seems to have a pretty good idea on the playbook as well. And Shane Waldron was hitting on that in his press conference today after the practice. Yeah, obviously you got to take this with a Mount Rainier size, you know, grain of salt for sure. Um, Drew Locke right now for him, it's about getting comfortable. Like you mentioned, it's about getting comfortable with the scheme, getting comfortable with his personnel around him, his line, his receivers. Um, and so you can, if you can come away with OTAs more, more comfortable in, in your situation, and more confident, I think that's that's a win. Now, you're, you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to win any starting jobs there, and you're probably not going to lose any starting jobs there. It's it's just to get comfortable, get familiar, especially with just the turnover and the unfamiliarity that is the Seahawks in 2022. This is an important time, but also a time where you, you don't want to put too much stock in, in a ton of these. And, you know, for one, it's it's underwear Olympics, like we like to say, and, and also and there's nothing else to talk about. This is the football we got right now, so we're gonna have to roll with it. And you know, Drew Lock getting comfortable that can only be that can only help the situation. It's not like this is gonna hurt that Drew Lock is getting more comfortable. Yeah, I think that it's a big deal when you're considering he's in a new system. He's with new receivers. He doesn't have all the pieces around him. DK Metcalf, for example, still not participating, coming off an injury. Not a surprise there. But being able to see him make quick reads be accurate with the football, show some touch, be able to show off his uh, his arm talent in terms of strength, which he has done several times. And we've seen that someone has filmed from his days in Denver too. He just wasn't able to put things together, which is why he's now with his second team, trying to hit the reset button, see if he can turn things around with the Seahawks. So it's encouraging. Again, it's June 2nd. So we're not going to be naming a starter. This practice isn't going to determine who's going to be your starter in week one, but Certainly you can help your cause leading up to training camp. And Drew Locke looks like he's getting comfortable in this offense. Second big storyline coming from today's OTA, Artie Burns on the defensive side of the football. And I've talked a little bit about him on earlier podcasts because he has 
so many things going for him that the Seahawks have looked for at corner in the past. He's got 33-plus-inch arms, 4-4 speed, so he's got the length, he's got the athleticism, but the one bad throw that Drew Locke made today, Artie Burns took advantage of it, picking off a throw on a goal line fade from Locke to Thompson. The ball was underthrown a little bit, not enough air under it, and, and Artie Burns jumped right in and took full advantage for the interception. He's been getting all the first-team reps across from Sidney Jones. And again, first-team reps, using that term loosely right now because they're not naming starters and OTAs, but he is getting those snaps at right cornerback, and he has been consistently making plays in these couple of OTAs that we have had access to as media. So right now he might be taking some steps towards being an early front runner to start at the other cornerback spot in week one. Yeah, I mean, he ain't no scrub. He ain't no, you know, camp body. I mean, we're talking 69 career games. He's over almost 2,500 career snaps on defense in the NFL, Steelers and Bears. And, you know, the familiarity with Sean Desai certainly cannot hurt um, Artie Burns. So I think that he's making great impressions. And obviously, like we said, on the flip side with defense, you know, the corners can't get down and dirty in the receive with the receivers, can't make a bunch of plays on the ball and, and, you know, endanger their bodies, the receivers' bodies. So um, a little bit of, you know, uncertainty there. But he's checking all the boxes that you can possibly check in June. So that's that's a good sign. It could only only elevate that competition at corner, which I think is a healthy thing. And as you mentioned, he's a seasoned veteran. He's played almost 70 games in his career. Still a fairly young player. Not going to sit here and say that he's an aging corner by any means. But he has played quite a few games, former first-round pick, on the flip side, Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen, they're rookies. They have yet to play in a preseason or regular season game. And even with things not being normal football, you're still going to get some welcome to the NFL experiences. And that certainly happened today, most notably for Kobe Bryant playing the cornerback position. I called it a welcome to the NFL roller coaster. And both of these guys were riding on it today. And that's going to happen when you're playing against NFL receivers for the first time. Bryant had one play where he was in the end zone in pretty darn good coverage on Freddie Swain. He got a fingertip on a throw by Drew Locke, and this is where Drew Locke's velocity comes into play. If this was a quarterback that didn't have a hose, as John Schneider called it, this is a guy that has a little less oomph on his throws, that ball is either swatted away or picked off by Kobe Bryant, but instead he was barely able to get a fingertip on it and the football still ended up getting to Freddie Swain for a touchdown. And then the final play of seven on sevens right before they went in for the day, taking a shot down the right sideline and Drew Locke makes a perfect throw to the back corner, the back pylon and Thompson scores his second touchdown of the day. So some rookie learning moments for him and Tariq Woolen had some similar things that he had to deal with today. He gave up a touchdown in the end zone. Marquise Goodwin showing off his quickness, took a step uh, inside like he was running a slant and then broke out to the corner. And Woolen was not able to get that six foot four frame turned quick enough. And Goodwin ends up scoring the touchdown. Woolen did get a little bit of revenge a few plays later by picking off Jacob Eason. Looked like he got shot out of a cannon coming out of his back pedal in the end zone and picked off Eason for his first practice interception, at least ones that we've seen in practice. And so, again, some encouraging signs and some welcome to the NFL moments for both of these guys. And that's to be expected. And in a way, it's healthy. You know, you got you to get the lumps out uh, when you can. 
um, in a in a controlled environment like OTAs, and especially in Woolen's case, I want to make sure we we kind of hammer home the fact. You know, we've been we've been saying some big things about Tariq Woolen and what he can become. Um, I'm a big believer in his his ceiling, as is not just as high as anyone in the in in the later rounds, any as high as anyone in that draft class period, and just with his raw athletic tools. Um, but again, he is extremely raw, extremely unrefined. And how do you refine imperfect metals? You put them through intense heat and pressure, and and then they come out the other side shiny and less imperfect. And I think that that's what's going to happen to Tariq Wollen. And, and Kobe Bryant to an extent this year. I think Kobe Bryant is fair to maybe have slightly higher expectations and standards for him. Um, but for Woolen especially, there's going to be some refining moments this year, even during the regular season. I'm hoping he gets on the field enough to have those because I'm extreme. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him and what he can become. But there's going to be some refining and some melting down first before he can become that polished product. And today showed that obviously both of them being rookies, even though Bryant is coming into the league much more polished, there are still going to be some growing pains for him. Every rookie is going to have to deal with that. And Cody Thompson got the better of him a few times today. Freddie Swain got the better of him. And he's going to lose some battles. You lose battles in the practice field. Richard Sherman lost battles on the practice field over the years. So that's what you have to remember when you're watching these practices. Last but not least, you know, there, there's a couple certainties in life. You know, there's going to be life, death, taxes. And I think we need to add a fourth one to the mix. And that is that Penny Hart is going to light it up in May and June. I am telling you, Nick, every single year. And I mean, obviously a couple of years ago, we didn't have OTAs and stuff because of COVID. But in training camp, Penny Hart was fantastic. Finished training camp strong. Ended up playing in 13 games. Then last year, he was on the roster pretty much the entire season, in part because with their condensed OTAs, this kid was going out and he was just making all kinds of catches. Today he had two really nice grabs on post routes, one from Locke, one from Geno Smith. So even without Russell Wilson being here, those two had a pretty good chemistry uh, between the two of them. It looks like he's picking up where he left off and once again is excelling during OTAs and Derek Young and Bo Melton are out with injuries right now undisclosed we don't think they're significant but every snap they're missing that's an opportunity for Penny Hart and he's taken advantage of it like he has the last couple years yeah I mean the last couple years he's been first team all offseason if that was the thing <laughs> um, that's not a knock either that he's working his butt off that's not to say that he he's he's not worthy of, of a roster spot or that's that he just shines in those moments and kind of fades off. I, he just works hard and he's just one of those guys that he he rises to the occasion in the offseason and takes advantage of those opportunities. There's something to be admired about that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, Benny Hart's just an easy guy to root for. He's, he's a Pete Carroll guy. He's a Seahawk guy. One of those guys that really gels well with that room. So once again, here we go again with uh, with him making noise and those rookies better be uh, rearing to go when they're, when they're healthy because they, they got some room to make up for. Yeah, you're not going to win starting jobs during OTAs and minicamp, but you can certainly improve your chances of making the roster in September. We've seen that with Penny Hart the last couple of years. So, of course, the grinder that he is, he's going to be trying to do everything he can to keep that roster spot. He's not going to be giving that up easily. So the rookies, yeah, make sure you get yourself healthy, but you want to get back out there and get some snaps in and learn this offense because otherwise – it's going to be really difficult to catch up 
with Penny Hart. And that's the perfect segue because coming up next, we're going to be investigating the depth chart outside receivers. Seattle has like 80 receivers on their roster right now. So we're going to split them into X and Z versus slot or Y receivers. We're going to look at the X and Z receivers on the outside today as we continue our position by position depth chart review. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts in their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump might be $353 at a chain store, $216 on Rock Auto. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could possibly need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And right locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliable low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined for today's episode by my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops. Neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked On NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing our position-by-position depth chart review up to this point, we've looked at quarterbacks, We looked at the running back position. We looked at linebacker as well as edge defenders. It's time to shift to the outside, the skill positions. As I mentioned a few moments ago, Nick, the Seahawks, as they do every year this time of year, they've got a bazillion receivers on the roster. It's a position that you want to have bodies for OTAs, minicamp, especially when you have guys like DK Metcalf coming off of injury. For that reason, we're going to split this one up into a two-parter. And today we're going to be tackling the outside receivers, also known as your X and Z receivers. And looking at the depth chart, obviously we know who the projected starters are going to be. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, the two of them have been perennial 1,000-yard receivers, putting up big touchdown numbers. The offense has ran through these two guys the last couple of years, almost to the point where, as you mentioned earlier, you'd like to see that third receiver or tight end that emerged to really take pressure off them but these two guys they've been as good of a duo as any in the NFL and they've got some intriguing pieces behind them when we're looking on the outside including Marquise Goodwin so looking at this depth chart as a whole Nick we know who the projected starters are going to be the expectation is that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are going to continue to be productive but when you look at the players that Seattle may have playing at those two outside positions, who's the ultimate wild card from this group, in your opinion? Well, it's it's a guy that that was signed just a few weeks ago, and that's uh, Marquise Goodwin. I, I think that he's obviously he's got some some pedigree in the NFC West, even. 
um, flirted with a thousand yards um, in 2017 with with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. So he's he's certainly not uh, not not unfamiliar with success in the NFL. Um, and, and he's he's got you know he's got the size, he's got the he's got the familiarity with with maybe some of the things they're doing in the system, um, the experience. It's just a name that kind of just uh, just quite honestly, it, you're like you it sticks. You're like oh I know who that is. <laughs> You don't maybe the average fan doesn't know the the other ones kind of later on in the depth chart, but you know the Deontay's Alexanders, um, and, and you also wonder who's going to be that that fun you know camp guy that that is jumping up. You know Jazz Ferguson, who's going to be this year's Jazz Ferguson on the outside? You know a guy that kind of makes some noise, a big body guy that that uh, maybe you wonder if he's going to make the roster. I think Marquise Goodwin actually has a pretty decent chance. At making the roster and and maybe better maybe slightly better than 50 50 in my opinion just with some of the experience he can bring um and and some of the success he's had in his career you know he's got 14 career touchdowns over 2600 career receiving yards um and, and so he brings a lot to the table um so i would say he's the wild card that that has is a late entry but a wild card nonetheless yeah when you look at the experience and the fact that he's played in kyle shanahan's offense in San Francisco, obviously not the same as what Shane Waldron is running, but you have the links coming from the original coaching tree that Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan did. So there are links there. And I actually asked Shane Waldron about this today. Certainly having a guy like Goodwin who is going to be able to jump in and doesn't need two weeks to learn the playbook. He's a savvy veteran that's played for a number of teams. He's played in an offense that has some of the same terminology. And so he's just been able to hit the ground running, literally. And this guy, he's in his 30s now, but he still has blazing speed. Maybe not the 4-2-7 guy he was coming into the NFL, a former U.S. Olympian that competed in the Summer Olympics in 2012 as a long jumper. This guy is still a remarkable athlete. You can see the speed to burn on the field. And you know Pete Carroll, he wants to have as many guys that can run super fast as possible on the outside. And so I have to agree with you. To me, he is the wild card here because he signed late. And sometimes guys that sign that late in free agency, it becomes a question of, are we just kicking the tires here? Or does this guy actually have an opportunity to make the football team? And more times than not, the Seahawks have ended up cutting players like that and going with younger guys. I don't know that that will end up being the case with Marquise Goodwin, though he's going to have a very competitive position to try to make this football team. But you add in the fact he's returned kicks before as well. It's been a while ago, but with his speed, might be something he can still do for the Seahawks. I certainly think that he's got a solid chance to make this football team. Now, next, let's talk sleepers here. Guys that their names aren't being mentioned at all. Marquise Goodwin at least is a somewhat household name. But who would be a player on this depth chart that isn't being talked about right now that we might be talking about come August? Who is the Jazz Ferguson of this group, as you mentioned? There's <clears throat> always a Jazz Ferguson. Um, for, for me, it's it's Dariq Young. Um, it's He's got the, all the tools, 6'3", 220. you got the size. you got the 444 speed. Uh, the, the cone drill, I think it was at six, six, eight, eight, or something, something pretty darn good there. Three cone drill. So the athletic traits are all there. Obviously, the small, the small college thing might scare some people, um, but there's been some perfectly fine receivers that have come from smaller schools um, that have come later in, in the draft. And and I, I think this is a guy. He's a sleeper. So you know, he's a seventh round pick. That's the definition of a sleeper. Is a guy that that is taken that late or even not drafted that. That has those skills that just maybe needs a few more things to come together, some some polishing from NFL caliber coaches 
or systems. And I, I think that he's a guy that, that, that can rise up and make this roster health willing, of course. But uh, just I just like the size combo with, with the athleticism. Yeah, I would agree with you on Dariq Young for this one, but I'm actually going to go with a veteran who had a really good day today. I've mentioned him a couple of times. Cody Thompson finally got his chance last year, late in the season, to play in a few games. He had a really big play in the finale where he recovered a fumble that was on special teams. The Seahawks capitalized with a touchdown a few plays later, and that helped them end the season on a strong note, despite the fact that they finished 7-10. and 10. They did win their last uh, game of the season, and they played really well the last two weeks there. Really, the last month, they started to play like they were expected to. Just had a really rough middle of the season with Wilson's injury, etc., but... I think Cody Thompson is one of those guys with his special team versatility. The fact he's a little bigger receiver, he really understands the playbook, really savvy football IQ guy that you can move around a little bit. He's going to mostly be playing on the outside, but it looks like he's got a decent rapport with the two quarterbacks as well. And so that is going to matter a lot when we get to camp. And yes, the Seahawks have added some rookies that they will hope to be able to make this football team, but Cody Thompson is still a fairly young receiver. And so to me, he is a name to keep a very close eye on. And now our last category is we do each and every position group, the bubble position. Who is the guy that is squarely on the bubble when you look at this particular depth chart, the receivers on the outside? Who is that bubble guy that's truly 50-50 to make this football team with less than two months until training camp? We actually talked about one of my guys already. It was Cody Thompson. I think that just some of the some of the impact that he's made um, at the NFL level already, being elevated to to the active roster last year, um, that that certainly plays in his favor. Um, as far as fifty, I, I know I said it's a bit better than fifty fifty, but Marquise Goodwin was another one I had there as a, as a bubble guy. Just with is there that is there that fit? Is there that, that can they get him the ball? You know, he's he's that that jitterbug that that lightning bolt could be. Um, or at least he was at one point with the Niners. I know it's ages maybe uh, started to creep in a little bit there. Um, but there's a guy who I think really should have his own endorsement by Double Bubble because he's Mr. Bubble. And I know you want to talk about him because I know you're a big fan of him as well. And that, that's Penny Hart. He needs to have his own Double Bubble endorsement because he, he is Mr. Bubble. And, and that's, again, not a knock. He's always there. He's always scratchy and, claw, and clawing and and he works hard, and he's he's going to be right there every time he's on the Seahawks roster. You and I were talking about it before the show, and I just cannot shake the idea that Penny Hart is the Seahawks' Austin Powers. He just loves to live his life dangerously. He is always on the edge. And like you said, it's not a bad thing. This is, you know, every team's got multiple guys that fit this bill that truly are bubble fringe players that Great are teams need a penny heart. on an NFL roster, but yeah. they're not necessarily guys that are going to move the needle. That's not a bad thing. That's not an insult. I mean, these guys are sticking around in the NFL. Penny Hart's had 30 games of experience the last two years, mostly playing special teams. But I mean, that's what makes him so intriguing is that this is a guy that does all the dirty work that the Seahawks and every other team's looking for from back in the depth chart receivers. He makes tackles on kick and punt coverage. He's got prior experience returning kicks. He hasn't done that in Seattle, but he can do it if they ask him to. He can run the football some. He has that positional versatility. And as we mentioned last quarter, 
the guy just makes plays on the practice field. He is the opposite of Allen Iverson. He's not going to be complaining about practice. This guy just <laughs> he wants to talk about practice, practice to put up big numbers. So again, he is permanently on the bubble, but he keeps finding ways to get on the good side of it. Even when he gets cut, they bring him back on practice squad. He's been too valuable in terms of being that do-it-all, special teams, scrappy receiving type. He's still only 25 years old. He plays faster than his 40-time coming out of Georgia State. He's just a fun player. And so, yeah, I don't think there's any other pick here. This guy is squarely on the bubble. He is the Seahawks bubble player when you look at all of the positions. And he's going to be in the mix, as we mentioned earlier. Dariq Young, Bo Melton, every other receiver that's battling for one of those last couple spots – you better be on the field and you better be getting reps in and doing the most you can with those reps. Because if you don't, Penny Hart is not going to give up his roster spot easily. And that really is what makes this position fun because there's a number of guys that could make this football team at receiver. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of talent and only so many spots on the roster for players to make this football team. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at NickLee51. Coming up on our Friday episode, I'll be tackling your questions on our weekly mailbag segment, plus continuing our position-by-position depth chart review with slot receivers on the outside. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks!